final piece of advice when it comes to pricing is obviously study your competition. Don't underprice yourself, but I'll go against what a lot of people say. They're like, don't underprice yourself early. If you're early, feel free and give a discount. Those people will eventually cancel. They're going to give you great feedback. Don't be afraid to just like give them half off. I'm Jim Huffman, and this is If I Was Starting Today, a collection of conversations about half-baked startup ideas, growth tactics, and stories from founders, including my own journey as a business owner. All of the content is centered around one question. What would you do if you were starting today? All right. In today's episode, I speak with Corey McCain. He is the CEO and founder of WeStrive, a software tool for gyms and fitness influencers. Uh, His story is really impressive. Today, he's got an app that's in the upper six figures. He's got some big partnerships with huge gyms, but it did not start this way. He started with a B2C app that he worked for three to four years to build up, launched it, and it failed and he had to shut it down within a month. He then pivoted, focused on B2B, spoke to a thousand potential customers and slowly started getting traction. Along the way, we talk about you know, how he got his career started by building a network, by hosting events, talked about how he was able to build this product without having a co-founder and how he was able to creatively do that with, with different partners. He talks about how he got his first 100 customers, talked about pivoting from B2C, where they give you no money, to enterprise, where they don't care what the price is. And he gives some hacks and tactics and advice along the way. So if you're a founder that's struggling with your idea to get traction, or you're trying to figure out how to go from zero to one, this is a a really cool story how someone over eight years has built something really impressive by being super relentless. So hope you enjoy this episode with Corey. All right. Today on the podcast, I have Corey McCain. We um, we met through Twitter, which I believe is where most amazing relationships start. So I was creeping around on what he's doing and he's building some really impressive stuff with the SaaS that he has and even stuff before that. He has his own podcast studio. He rents out that I, he's extended an invitation to me. I just have to buy a plane ticket to go there, but can't wait. But Corey, nice to meet you, man. Pleasure, man. Yeah, it's uh, it's great to meet you. I'm glad we were able to connect over Twitter. I think Twitter is the most, it's becoming higher rated, but it's definitely the most underrated way to like connect in the tech world for sure. And I actually do two other things too that I never mentioned because my bio gets too long, but I host, I host tons of tech events. I actually have a 500 person tech beer pong tournament in April coming up. So is that in Austin or where is that? It's in Austin. Yeah. So we, it's, it started off at 120 players and then it was 256 and then it was, now it's 512. And so we, uh, which happens to be Austin's area code, actually. So it's pretty cool. But 512 represent. But yeah. So I just bring in a bunch of founders and investors. And we did this massive beer pong tournament. It's tons of fun. But I host like weekly um, like tech meetups too. And then the, my funniest role that's like actually paying a good amount of my salary right now is I run a growth for Factal. It's this guy I met in Oklahoma, one of my best friends now. Basically, it's like this online trivia game that just blew up. It's kind of like Wordle, but for facts. And now yeah. I like a sports... So every day there's like sports quizzes. And so I run that part-time too. So those are my four, my four babies. Dude, amazing. The beer pong tournament for startups. That is so tech bro-y of you. I'm impressed. And I also want to enter. So well done. That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Well, it's, it's funny too, because I mean, it's my last year doing it. I turned, I turned 30 on April 6th and we're going to do it on April 1st. 
And uh, I, I'll play beer. I mean, I can play beer pong or any sport until I'm like, you know, hundred years old, but yeah. I don't want to be the 30 year old guy hosting the event. Uh, <laughs> and I run, I run a cool SAS and I host a bunch of fun events. And so people around town have started to be like, Hey, this is Corey. He hosts those beer pong tournaments. And I'm just like, dude, like stop. Introducing <laughs> yeah. Let's stop. change the bio, please. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know what, though? I think that's so impressive to there's some advice to not just go to the event, but like host and be the event because it naturally makes you someone to people kind of gravitate towards where you can meet. And so any advice or tips? Because I had a a little meetup I was doing here in Seattle around growth marketing. Then COVID happened. I just kind of stopped it. Like any more like what what's like the the bear or the the bull case like why people should start hosting more local events? Yeah, I mean, I'll say I'll say tons of different points to that. I mean, I think first and foremost, if you're not good with people, like you should not host events. Like I'm not saying I mean like anyone listening, they're like I'm gonna go do it. It's like if you're not good with people, if you're not well organized, if you're not like, I think you need to be empathetic. When I'm hosting a big event, I'm trying to make sure that everybody in the room is happy. If I see one person in the corner kind of by themselves. I'm like, Hey, why don't you go talk to this person? Cause I I'm very outgoing and I hate being that I hate going to events where I feel kind of like left out. Mm-hmm. So I think as long as you're like an outgoing, you know, like empathetic person, like you should definitely host events. I mean, for me, the reason I host them, I mean, it's, there's several reasons. Like the first reason is, you know, you make tons of connections kind of like you said, it's kind of like magnetic where if I were to go to a happy hour, I'm going to make, you know, three or four people, you know, three or four connections. But if I'm hosting the event, I might make 30, 40, 50 connections because someone brings their friend and then you host another event. That person brings their friend again and then that friend brings a friend. And so it really just magnifies how many people you can meet. And what was your question why I do it or how how to make them successful? Sorry. Well, no, I think, well, like the first, the case, why you should do it, then any tips or hacks, because all of a sudden you have a, I mean, a beer punk tournament with 500 plus teams or whatever, like, well, give me the cheat sheet on how to do it well. I'm like, all right, I'm in Seattle. I, I'm going to reactivate my growth marketing meetup. How do I make it a success? So it's not just me and two random interns at UW like staring at each other. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and that's sometimes how it starts too. Like when I first started hosting events, I was living in LA for a few years and um, started off just, you know, maybe 25 to 30 of us. And then all of a sudden it was like 60 and then a hundred. And there, there's definitely nothing wrong with that. I mean, sometimes <laughs> like a seven to 10 person group dinner is the best way to do it. And that actually is one of my pieces of advice is start off by doing like a five to 10 person dinner and tell everyone to bring somebody. And then you got 15 people in a room and then you can just keep doing those events. And eventually you have a happy hour. The way I did it was I, for my first event specifically, I went on LinkedIn. I found every single person in tech. Well, that, that's not true. I found a lot of people in tech in LA, and I just sent them a DM saying, Hey, I'm hosting an event in Santa Monica tomorrow. Would love if you came. Well, it wasn't tomorrow. It was like a week later, but would love if you came out. You know, obviously it's free of charge. I personally upfront just kind of covered um, some of the sponsorship dollars. And then, you know, over time, like it gets to the point where, you know, maybe you're breaking even. And then eventually I'm at the point now where I should make like a pretty hefty sum of money for this next beer pong tournament. So to describe how to host a beer pong tournament, like now it involves like stages and I have DJs and I'm getting food trucks and I have a full security staff. It's just, it's basically a festival at this point. It's not even, it's not even a happy hour, yeah. um, but just events in general, like starting off small, getting friends of friends to, to get people involved. And then, you know, getting a like private area at a bar. I usually call the bar, email them ahead of time, say, Hey, I'm going to bring in 30 people. We'd love an area because no one wants to go to an event where you kind of like walk in and you don't know where to go. So there needs to be some sort of signage, but then yeah, just starting small and grow and then, you know, use LinkedIn to find people to go to the event. Yeah. I actually like starting small and almost making it exclusive where you, yep, if you can exactly. 
keep the quality high. Um, okay, you've, you've maybe inspired me to dust off the meetup group. It's a great hack too for building an email list, which is also nice for stuff you want to do. Okay, so I want to know, like for people that don't know, like give like the quick pitch on what is we strive. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so easiest way to look at it is we're an all-in-one tool for personal trainers and gyms. So basically... We started off with trainers and we've expanded into the gym like enterprise model. But if you're a personal trainer and you want to build or grow your business, whether it's in person or online, you're going to use Excel to build a program. You're going to use PayPal or Venmo to send payments. You're going to be you know, using a notes app to track progress sometimes. I mean, it's pretty much pretty chaotic. So with us, what we do is we put that all in one. We have a beautiful program builder. We offer thousands of photos and videos of exercises that you can utilize. We handle payments. We handle progress tracking. We give you a beautiful mobile app. We even do white labeling, like pretty much anything that you need as a trainer, we handle. And then as you expand into the enterprise side of things, what we realize is that we landed this massive partner in the gym space and they do all of the front end gym software where you scan in, you buy your protein powder, maybe you get like a shake and then, you know, you can see like who the staff is for that day that's working. But what they don't have is all the personal training. So you go to a Gold's or like a a Lifetime or something like that, and uh, maybe you want to follow a workout on your own. They don't have that option. Maybe you want to find a personal trainer. Cool. You have a trainer now, but he has a clipboard and then you have literally no way of seeing anything that you've ever done. There's no progress. You kind of just, maybe you could ask them for the piece of paper that they have, but that's, you know, whatever. And now we come in, we take our software, we drop it in. So now you have an actual app where you can track like your body weight, your bench press, your squat, you get your program. They can send you a survey. They can ask you to track a habit. The coach and the gym themselves have this full database where they can actually like see your entire fitness journey and build out plans for you. So basically, yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, we're an all-in-one personal training software, but you know, everyone from a physical therapist to a gym is able to utilize it. Yeah. And it's a pretty slick website and they've got a, a free trial. You start at five bucks a seat for personal trainers, and then it can kind of go up for gyms and clubs. And so I want to know, I always like hearing someone's background and know like they're kind of superpowers. You kind of already alluded to that. You're very willing to put yourself out there. You're, you're good. You've like coordinated events, very much this connector. Anything else people should know, like before you started companies, any more color on, on your background that kind of shaped going into the entrepreneurial journey? Yeah. I mean, honestly, there's basically no background, which is the weird part. I mean, well, let me take that step back. The background I have is the first four and a half years of my startup journey. I built out a B2C fitness product that just didn't work. So from in February, it'll be eight years since I started on this startup journey. I got my accounting degree in college, my senior year of college. I was like, I was really big into fitness. I did fitness competitions, that kind of stuff. And I thought it was weird that all of my friends were like, how do I get my bench press up? How do I get my squat up? And I would like text them little workouts or I'd be like, Google this. And I thought it was weird that there wasn't a database of just thousands of workout programs. And I was naive and I lived in Eastern Washington. I know you're in Seattle. I was on the other side. Had I been in Seattle, I might've had better mentors, but in Spokane and Cheney, where I went to college, there isn't exactly, I was the only one out of every friend I ever met and their friends that built an app. So I was basically like alone on this island and I was like, oh, cool, I'm going to make this app and we're going to make it work. And it just took years and I failed so many times. I lost so much money. We finally ended up launching it. There's this a whole other story with Apple where I had this big launch party on a rooftop in Santa Monica, like three or four years later, Apple, excuse me, Apple pulls the app from the app store the day of the launch party. So like, instead of having this app, you had to like sign up on a piece of paper. It was, it was so irritating, but After all that, we had thousands of programs, hundreds of personal trainers, and it was just way too competitive. And I wasn't ready to be a CEO yet. We had 
apps like Nike and Gymshark launching that offered free plans. I would argue our plans were more specific because you could say, I want to lose weight three days a week, 45 minutes a day, $15 a month. And then, you know, I, I like this type of weightlifting. But at the end of the day, it was just insanely competitive. And we had to kind of just launch and a month or two later, pull the plug. So that's kind of my background. Yeah, I have my accounting degree. Yeah, I worked out, that kind of stuff. But that didn't train me for my current role nearly as much as four to four and a half years of waiting tables, building up this B2C platform that ended up just completely being worth nothing. So that's my background, basically. Yeah. You know what, though? I think there's two paths because I was like a finance major, similar to you, you did accounting, which I think would would have been better than what I did in finance. And I worked in investment bank and then everybody's like, oh, you got to go get an MBA. And MBAs are freaking expensive, 150, 300K. I learned better through experience. And you kind of went down that personal MBA path where it's like, hey, I'm going to try and do the sales, the marketing, the growth, like the product Mm -hmm. development. And while like you didn't IPO with it, like what you learn there, I think you're doing laps around an MBA program. At least that's what I tell myself because I did not get the MBA. I literally study. I bought all the stupid books. I read every single one and I was about to take the GMAT. I was like, I can't physically do this. I was like, I will jump off a bridge before I go like back to school. But yeah. I think I, I think that's like the best like knowledge you can get. And because now as I want to get into We Strive, what's interesting is it didn't scar you in that you're like, I'm going to go get a real job. You're like, oh no, I'm going to keep going and go down this entrepreneurial path. Was there ever any doubt or did you no, always there, have conviction? There was doubt yesterday. I mean, we have, there's doubt. <laughs> like I literally, I was literally sweating like yesterday, like laying in bed. Just, oh man. It was like, we're at this weird part where we're almost at break even, but we're not yet. And so it's, you know, yes, we're growing pretty successfully, but like we still have to keep putting cash to grow and we'll, not through marketing, but for the development. It's, it's just anyways, but there's been many points. I mean, especially when I flipped B to C to B to B, I mean, at that point, I'm waiting tables, I'm Ubering, DoorDashing, all that kind of stuff in LA. And all my money is just going back into the company. And it's, hey, you've been working on this for over four years now, and you have literally nothing. We sold like $2,000 worth of programs. So it's, and then to your point about maybe, maybe another job, you know, switching over. I have a bunch of successful buddies. So like they've, and they've seen me kind of grind on my social media stories over the years. And so I've gotten some really good job offers like a year ago, even up to this day, I had a guy, they've raised like millions of dollars also in the fitness space. He offered to acquire my company and then for low millions and then basically aqua hire me for a, a pretty good salary and give me equity. And I turned him down because I know how big we strive can be. You know, that's when the doubts creep in. You're like, can it be that big? I don't know. The million couple couple million dollars in my pocket, you know, a good salary. And honestly, the job offer he offered me is my dream job. I love product. I love just like working around in Figma and just mm-hmm. making things beautiful. He offered me like a head of product role with like almost founder shares. And I was like, no, it was so hard. Not founder shares, sorry, but it was a decent amount. And so, yeah, turning down jobs like that is tough. But at the end of the day, like I really do love um, running my own company. Um, It's super stressful. I have doubts constantly, but like the the ups outweigh the downs at the end of the day. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't be anywhere else or I wouldn't want to be anywhere else. Yeah. That, that's so cool. Well, that has to also give you conviction and a little bit of confidence if people are going the aqua hire model or trying to do that. You're like, okay, I do have something, but um, security, like the idea of it, it is kind of nice, but I don't know. I, I think once you get a taste of working for yourself, mm-hmm. it's really hard to go back unless you're just like literally controlling everything. Sure. So, so talk to me about how you came with the idea for We Strive. And when you started to see signals that was working, was it as simple as, oh, let me pivot B to C to B to B? Or 
How did it come to be? Yeah. So this kind of, I think you, in our initial email, you asked me a question about what I would recommend to SaaS founders. And I'll kind of cover that in what you just asked me at the same time. So if I could go back in time, I would have done things a little bit differently because it, it was not a quick turnaround. It took us about two years, maybe even two and a half to get to the point where last January, we had a product that we were like actually confident in because I went, this is my advice. I went the all-in-one route, which is what we have. But what you realize is that, especially when you have almost no funding, like I did, if you want to build an all-in-one product, you can't, you're not making any money that entire time. There's literally nothing being made. So you're just losing money, losing money, losing money. Whereas my advice is if I could go back in time, I would have built a really good kind of like niche app, like a, like a really good calendar or a really good meal tracker that would have been maybe a three to six month build that we could have charged 15 bucks a month for, and then added all in one tools as we scaled. But my thing is there's 50 features that are core that we have. And I was trying to build them all at once and it's just exhausting. So it took us about two years to get that going, maybe even longer. And yeah, I mean, it, it, I wouldn't even say until maybe the last couple of months, I've been confident in what we're, we're confident as far as we're going to definitely make it. Because I mean, you see an upgrade in an account, you see a cancel, you see a downgrade, you see an upgrade. So it's constant, but we feel like we've really found our niche. Like we have two coaches that are making a lot of money on our platform. And so we know like, you know, all we have to do is reach out to those coaches, that coaching type. Now we can expand. We've landed the biggest enterprise deal that we could. We're partnered with this gym that or this software that works with 19,000 gyms that should go live in the next couple of weeks. And that's going to just be massive for our growth. So yeah, I would say in the last three to six months, I felt like I've made it, but it took a really long time to, to kind of get to this point. That's really good advice. So I want to unpack that a little bit because, you know, I was talking with Nathan Barry and ConvertKit. It's what's the path? Because like you, he was bootstrapped and, you know, he's doing email automation, which good luck. There's a million people doing oh, yeah. that and you have to be kind of that all-in-one option. So what you're saying is, hey, unpack it, find one kind of key hero feature you can do really well, build up the user base, get some money coming in, and then slowly expand to be all-in-one. Whereas yeah. you went this path of doing everything. So when it's doing everything, you are accounting background. Who's doing the development? Who's doing the product? Is this another co-founder or are you kind of finding freelancers to help you and you're overseeing it? I have a couple of small, you know, freelancers that help with, you know, QA and that kind of stuff. But, but mostly I have a full dev team in Western Ukraine that nice. I've had for about four years now. So they were towards the end of my B2C like very, like very end and then have moved on with my B2B with me. Yeah. Love them to death. Like they support me through uh, you know every, every possible occasion, ups and downs. Like I've been in debt to them and I've been able to pay them back. Like they've invested their own capital to, to be a part of We Strive. And see, so yeah, I have a full team. I got one or two guys in the, the web or back end. I've got two mobile developers, amazing designer, a project manager, and then a two QAs. So a pretty solid team over there. So that's the only way I've been able to push through is they have a decent amount of equity in WeStrive. Unfortunately, if I didn't have them, I would not have been able to you know, continue progressing as I have. But if I'd gone with a simple calendar tool, I could have easily progressed. Can't tell you how many times there are, there have been certain like buttons or like small features that coaches are like, can you just do this? I would pay for just this thing. And so if I could go back, that's definitely one thing I would have done is just start off with one and then expand beyond that. It's so hard though, because like feature bloat is very real as you're trying to build something to where you just don't ship. Have you become 
better at being disciplined around, okay, let's control the roadmap, it's, mm-hmm. but it's like not being influenced by, oh, that person churned because we didn't have that feature. And that person wants this versus here's my vision. You know, you're Steve Jobsing it of like where the vision should be. How do you balance those two things? It's, it's honestly like not possible to do it perfectly, which is what I've come to realize because like you said, you have... I'll have someone, you know, let's say we have our lowest account, $5 a month, and they'll be like, I'm going to cancel because, you know, your your password reset didn't work as fast as I wanted it to, or maybe the link wasn't working on this device or something like that. And then it makes me be like, oh my God, like I, w- I want to message my team. Like, guys, are you, are you joking me? Like, how is this not fixed yet? But then I'm like, okay, do I focus on this $5 account that's upset about this? Or... I have this account paying us 500 bucks a month. That's like, Hey, like, you know, we're hoping to have this feature soon. And I go, okay, before I would be like, do the $5 one really quick. Then we'll get to the 500. But now I'm like, I don't know if I can cuss, but like F the $5 one, (laughs) focus on this $500 one. We're going to do what makes us money, but, but while also making our customers happy. So like my biggest problem is I'm, I care a lot, very empathetic. Like today, literally it was a good day for us. We had seven accounts sign up for new subscriptions, like paying, which is great. But then we had two churns, like $25 minus minus $50. And I'm like, those kill me way more than oh, that. Yeah. And so we're we're doing stuff like working on our cancellation flow so we can get like the true answers out of why they're canceling. But at the end of the day, it's I love products so much. My Figma document goes so deep. <laughs> like literally, if you go on our sauna, I have it broken down web design, mobile, gym, you know, enterprise, all that stuff. And each one has like 70 to 100 tasks in it that are just minuscule design is complete, ready to go. And it's it's really hard to organize them, but you got to just figure out how to prioritize both your customer and your revenue needs, basically, and kind of shut off what you want. Yeah. I know I'm on a tangent, but last thing I'll say about that is that I made the mistake early on because I interviewed hundreds of, of personal, like I've probably done over a thousand Zoom calls with coaches to figure out what they want, which makes, which makes me like, that's why I think I'm one of the best in this industry at making the correct product. Mm-hmm. Um, but I made the mistake of taking mental notes on what they were asking for, for a very long time. I bet. So then you get to the 105th call and you're like, God, I feel like at least five people have asked for this feature, but you don't know because you, you can't quantify it. Right. Yeah, exactly. And so way too late in the game, but thankfully I did do it. I, <laughs> and also what I hate too, another, another tangent is that I would advise other entrepreneurs to take notes on their calls. And then I did do it myself. Uh, <laughs> just every time I'd be like, man, I should be doing that too. That's good advice. But I'm at the point now in the, the last couple of years where I have a big notion doc and I have like actual stats and rankings on what features are being requested, who requested it. And then a subtitle of like why they requested it. And it helps so much on prioritizing features for sure. Today's episode is brought to you by inside.com. Are you a founder, marketer, or executive that's looking for the next untapped social channel? Then look no further. Seriously, this one just launched and it's already getting insane traffic. It's like the website love child of Reddit and Twitter, but for business. I love it because it's the social news site and community site that actually cuts through the noise, unlike other platforms. I can discover content from other founders, plus it's a great place to share my own thoughts with professionals. I'm actually starting to get a little bit of traffic from it. For me, 
I like the topics feature because I can easily jump into inside. I can filter by startup content, e-commerce content, or marketing content to find things to help me learn or to help me make my own business decisions. Plus, they host AMAs. That means ask me anything so you can connect with other like-minded professionals. It's more than just news. It's an efficient way to grow your network with impressive business minds. I was sold on them because of the team behind it, Alex and Jason. This is the brainchild of Jason Kalkanis. He's one of the hosts of my favorite podcast, The All In Podcast. He's an icon in the business world, the startup world, and he knows content. So you know the quality's there. Last, you might want to grab your inside URL before someone else does. Luckily, I got Jim Huffman before my nemesis in Minnesota got it. If you want to connect with me, go to inside.com, search my name, and let's chat. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast or what you think of Inside. Let me know what you think. Yeah, I know it. I, I, I should be doing that on sales calls too, because my team will ask me like, oh, you know, what, what was their biggest concern or whatever? So I think it was this. I was like, crap, why am I not quantifying this? <laughs> it's so easy. Just do it. It's so easy. Like after, I know. once you do it, you'll look at it and be like, oh God, that's gorgeous. I know what I'm doing now. Like it's... Yeah. It's yeah, easy advice to give, hard to take. I want to kind of go back to, so you spoke to like over a thousand people essentially, which I think people need to hear that, which kind of leads to a question, you know, you're pivoting to B2B. How did you get your first 10, 50 or a hundred customers, whether that's free customers or paying customers? Um, so there, there's two chapters on that. So the B2C, I messaged thousands or thousands of people on LinkedIn that are personal trainers, like so many personal trainers. And I was like, Hey, I'm building a marketplace for personal trainers. Would love to have you on there. Ended up signing about like 400 of them. Obviously that effort is just out the door because we never used it. But like we had, I had some real, I had the Denver Broncos strength and conditioning coach. I had like a bunch of like athletic trainers from all these amazing, you know, celebrities and all that kind of stuff. And David Hasselhoff's trainer was on there. We've got some, we had some cool coaches, but, um, Obviously, that didn't go anywhere, but it was all on LinkedIn, just LinkedIn message, LinkedIn message. Mm. Like LinkedIn to this day is just like thousands of coaches that <clears throat> probably dilute my algorithm because they don't follow any of my stuff. But <laughs> I'm convinced that's why I get so I have 30,000 connections on LinkedIn and I get no likes. And I'm like, probably because they're all they don't use LinkedIn anymore. <laughs> uh, but uh, with the B2B model, a few things. I mean, I started off, you know, because again, still like learning as a as a new CEO, like for the B2B, just a lot of like Instagram outreach, like, hey, we built this marketplace, but now you can run your business on it too. So that's kind of how we started. But how our natural growth has been is a lot of tons of SEO, um, putting out a bunch of blogs about like how to grow your business. And another thing is definitely going to be a partnership. So we partnered with ISSA, which is a big certification. And then through a lot of the blogs, they also give out their own certs. So we would like rank but to this day, we still rank like top five on a bunch of different blogs that are like best personal training software. Then yeah, last thing would just be getting a bunch of good reviews on G2, Capterra and all those. So those are kind of like the most, most important things for like our growth. Yeah. It's worth calling out to the scale at which you did this manual kind of cold outreach. Because even talking to like some other founders, you know, Sam, a testimonial hero, they crows like over seven figures just putting cold outreach through LinkedIn. I think a lot of times, Pete, and I've been guilty of this, I'll try something and I'll do it at a small scale. I'm like, oh, it doesn't work. And you're like, oh, I need to move on to the next thing. It's, oh no, it's like 10X the volume to get a decent sample size. So were, were you doing that manually, just grinding? Or were you building systems and having virtual assistants do that? I, I'm always interested in how people kind of pull things like that off. 
Yeah, I mean, to, in the beginning, like for the first several years, like, I mean, when I first started, I don't even know if there was automated systems. And if there were, I didn't use them. I would just manually do it. And to be honest, like, I'm actually glad I did that because I feel like when you manually do it, like you're actually looking at their profile and you're like, is this type of person that would sign up anyways? And then mm-hmm. it, the message means more. And you're like, no, I did send this message. This is me. Granted, <laughs> yeah. granted I would totally have automated it if I had thought about it or if I figured it out. But yeah, n- I mean, nowadays, like for the last couple of years, I have a VA sending those out. So it's fine. But I mean, yeah, like it was definitely manual. And I had a pretty good strategy that had a really high success rate. So instead of just saying, you know, you get the LinkedIn bullshit, like, you know, book that people send you. I would just say, Hey, sorry for the random message. I'm building out a trainer marketplace. And I was wondering if you're still a personal trainer. And that was all I said. And it was super simple. I found in my random messages that ending in a question typically gets a response. And if you can keep it below three or less sentences, you get a response almost every time too. And they'd be like, yeah, I actually am a trainer. And then like a three or four messages in, you ask the question, but um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was pretty much mostly manual for the, the majority of the early growth. Yeah, that's really good advice too. Because when it's that short, they can't not read it because it's only three lines. It's like you trade, like, yep, you have to read it, and it's and it's genuine too when it's from the founder or the business owner. So it's so funny because I like that's how we started this agency. I would just see people looking to hire a growth marketer or a growth hacker, and I'd apply for the job. Be like, just kidding, but you can hire my agency. Half the time, get the f out of here. Other times, like, okay, we'll talk to you. But yeah, then yeah. I, I tried to scale it too soon, and I'd have VAs do, it and it just didn't work. And then I'd go do it, and it would work, and I was like. Maybe my SOPs are crap, but but yeah, I, I think that's good advice. No, that's tough. I mean, it's so hard to have a VA because sometimes you see their picture and you're like, oh my God, I should say this instead, actually. And so it's, yeah. so, it's impossible to replicate that. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. Cause it's always tough as a founder to balance scalable versus non-scalable, you know? And so it's, you never want to lose that hustle, but what's impressive, you start with this scrappy tactic, you put some automation to it. You then bolt on SEO. You're now getting partner channels to work. I mean, those are huge unlocks that can really compound. Those are big things of leverage, but you kind of have to start with those ones that don't scale, it it seems like in in the early days. Yeah. I mean, it's it's almost impossible to just launch a personal training software and then be like, put me on your blog. It takes a while. And like, I've, there was one guy I, I even had him on my podcast years ago when I had a fitness podcast. And then like, I messaged him and I emailed him and I messaged him and I emailed him. He never would put me on his blog. And I was like, dude, I I know for a fact you don't know any of the other softwares. You know me, put me on your blog. And I randomly walked by him at a conference in Miami. And I was like, are you, you know, this guy? And he's like, what's up, dude? And then he put me on like the next week. That was like two years after he said he would do it. But yeah, I sent so many emails out. Like we're, and what's what's crazy is just so to be blunt on our numbers, we're we're doing we're processing like 600k a year in payments, and then we're ma- we're our MRR is like 6k or something like that. Yeah, once the enterprise goes live, like any of these gems will be 6k. So it's gonna it'll amazing. It'll, it'll yeah, yeah. So I'm excited. Like we, they work with Lifetime and Blink and LA Fitness and all these cool gems, and it's gonna be it's gonna be a good few years for us. We're not doing any ads right now. We're just kind of waiting for this enterprise deal to go live, and yet like. I'm getting, you know, 10 to 15 conversions a week now. And it's all from those blogs I did two years ago, one year ago. And they're just like clicking, signing up. I'm getting the the email that I owe them or a little referral. It's good to go. Like it's it's pretty cool, man. Yeah. SEO, you feel so smart when you do that in the early days and it starts to pay off. That's that's awesome. So you've given good advice on, you know, pivoted from B2C to B2B, how you got clients in the early days. You're getting a partner channel to work. But really with SaaS, it's trying to unlock what is that right 
pricing model, right? Yeah. And so do we price on features? Do we price on usage? Do we oh. expose the pricing? Do we not? 18, he's got 18 more dollars. Nice. There we go. There we go, man. Make, yeah. Making money while you while you while you talk, man. There you go. Go. That, that's the SaaS dream as an agency owner. Pricing um, right there. That's the price. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there, there it is. Talk through how you settled on like your your pricing model. Yeah, it's tough because like I'm, and that's kind of why we moved up river. It's like we started at B 2 C, and we're like, hey, do you want to give us five dollars? And it's no, and we're like, hey, this is dumb. And then we're like, we're in B two B, and we're like, we built you all these tools. And then they're like, I don't want to pay you $17. And we're like, what? This is ridiculous. And then now we're an enterprise and we're like, it's $500. And they're like, okay, cool. Yeah, whatever. I don't care. <laughs> I'm like, are you fucking kidding me? What? So in, in the crazy thing about enterprise too, is that it's the, it's 99% the exact same features that we have for our personal trainers, but for a gym and they're, they're like, yeah, I don't care. Go ahead. Like white label. How much is it? 200 bucks a month. Yeah. Add that. I don't care. Like how many locations do we have? Three. Yeah, add them all. I don't care. And it's like, my conversion rate on talking to a, and I'll, I'll hop on all those gym calls because I'm like, this is easily 6K ARR, if not more. So like, why not just take a 30 minute call? Conversion rate is absurdly high. Like it's, they just love it and they're ready to go. But when it comes to choosing pricing, it's tough. We had a coach like who started off, we used to have a 125 for our unlimited plan for personal trainers and we upped it to 250. And we had a coach that was just like, wasn't abusing it because we were making a lot of money off of her, all the transactions she was doing because we make money off that too. But she just has thousands of, she has 2,400 clients on our platform. And I was kind of just, dude, like messaged her one day and I was like, I'm gonna be honest with you. We're going to just move you to 250 because this is absurd and you should not be paying 125. And I know how much money you make from us. <laughs> she, she was literally just like, yeah, that's fine. And we just upped her to 250. But when it comes to pricing, I mean, obviously you got to look at your competitors. If we didn't have any competition, I would not charge $17 for five, for five clients. It's just absurd. We do too many things. It makes no mm. sense. Like I would charge probably $30 or something like that or 50. At the end of the day, if our if our competitor is charging 20 or 15, like we're going to have to be somewhere in that range that's reasonable. With that being said, we have like a, a free account for your first client and then $5 for your second and then 17 or above. And I started off like with the mindset of we should be able to offer a longer free trial and have like really inexpensive accounts so we can get these coaches in, then they can learn the process and then grow. And I still have that mindset, but I've kind of flipped to the point where I'm like, we're running a business and you should not get all of these tools for two clients for $5 a month. It's just too low. It's like, I because those are the people that are complaining the most. Those are the ones that want all the features. And oh, so yeah. I spend time dealing, all, I'm like, what are we doing here? And so we're probably going to eliminate that plan. We're probably going to take our 17 up to 20 and we're probably going to increase our gym account pricing too, because it just... We all we do too many cool things for the price that it currently is. I would just say, yeah, the, my only my only piece of advice when it comes to pricing is obviously study your competition. You know, look up all the pricing you know manuals and guides for SaaS that you can. But at the end of the day, don't underprice yourself. And then I'll go against what a lot of people say. They're like, don't underprice yourself early. If you're early, feel free and give a discount, dude. Like you're gonna those people will eventually cancel. They're gonna give you great feedback. Don't be afraid to just give them half off just so you can see. I, I think that's good advice because you just want data in the early days. The other thing that you brought up is as you go from this lower tier where it's more self-serve to enterprise, they were talking not just marketing, but sales, mm -hmm. right? So how has that changed going after this enterprise? One, like, how do you find the enterprise client? And then how do you close them? Are you like getting on calls? Do you have a fancy pitch deck? Are you are you going to, you know, martini lunches? What, what's changing? 
Yeah. So, I mean, we, we do have a fancy pitch deck, which I, which I, I love making pitch decks. It's all self-serve. So we've had a few gyms sign up on their own, but at the same time, like I have an email and a thing that pops up, like we're, I would, I want you to hop on a call with us. It's worth the time for me to get to know you because like you might have 70 locations and we could make tens of thousands of dollars a month off of you. So I want to hop on all those calls plus gym owners talk. So if you can get one that like there, there yeah. are coaches in gyms in the past that have signed up that probably wouldn't have had they not hopped on the call and gotten to know me. So I want to be on all those calls that I can, but, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's the good thing about it is with this enterprise deal we have our enterprise partner, we're giving them a decent commission and they're doing all of the sales for us. So they basically already work with all these massive gyms and in all of their annual reviews and in all of their new deal flow calls, they're basically now saying as of next week, Hey, we also have this tool we strive. I'm going to walk you through the deck really quick. I know you guys have personal trainers at all of your locations. This is a great tool. Not only that, but we have an API. So the way we have we strive set up is basically anytime you add a new client to your gym under this tag or a new coach under this tag, they have an automatic WeStrive account and you can start training with them immediately. So that's kind of the new sale that they have. And so we should start seeing some pretty cool deal flow coming in soon. Nice, man. That That's exciting. And your valuation as you go down this enterprise path will just go up and up. So that that's super exciting. So any you kind of gave some good advice on going into SaaS, but I guess the final question on having a, a tech-based company, what, what's other advice you'd give to people that are like, hey, I'm starting a SaaS tomorrow? What's mm-hmm. the must-do, don't-do list? You already gave advice on launching with kind of that key feature rather than the all-in. You gave some good advice on discounts and pricing. What what, what else? Yeah. I mean, there's so many different things. Like, I mean... I'm thinking about my specific advice. One, one thing I always tell like app founders is launch a website before you launch an app to so make you make sure it works. I mean, as, as far as SaaS goes, I mean, I think my number one advice is what I've already said is like hop on so many calls, like hop on countless calls with your with your your audience, and then don't even try and sell them early on because especially when you don't have a product. I see a lot of founders try and like close deals. I'm like, dude, they're not going to pay you. I think especially when we when we're moving to B two B or to, to enterprise, excuse me. I hopped on a call with a bunch of gym owners and I was like, Hey man, like we're not going to have this product for a year, but I would love to just get to get to know what you're looking for. Cause I know how the market works. I know there's gaps. I know we can make a better one. So let me just talk to you for 20 minutes, explain my idea, hear your thoughts on it. And you know, when we do launch it, I'll give you like X percent off so that you can mm-hmm. have an early, early user. By doing that, you're going to get so much feedback. You'll be on a call like, Oh, I never even considered that being an option. You're like, what? Write that down. Like, it's it'll save you so much time and more likely than not when that product does go live a lot of those people are going to sign up with you they might not convert but like they're going to be super impressed that you actually pulled through what you said you were going to do and they're going to like actually use the account and try it. it might even be like a paying customer so yeah that'd be like my number one advice just hop on a bunch of calls yeah. And that's funny. It's like the simplest, easy advice, but it's literally the best thing that everyone should do and people forget. It's, yeah. I, uh, I was talking to the guy at Bala Shoes. He's like, yeah, he spoke to 300 people before launching these shoes for nurses. He's kind of done it without it. I said how many times I need to hear that for it to get through, but that's really good advice. Yeah. Uh, well, cool, man. Well, what one question that I like to ask everybody to kind of like end on is this idea of you know, what's the nicest thing anyone's done for you in your professional career? Ooh, I do not know. Let me think. I know I, I can, 
Well, actually, like, even to just buy you a little bit of time, like I've heard some people give really good gratitude. Like, oh, someone opened this door for me. And another of my buddies gave this example of like really tough love he got from a professor that's you're worthless and get your act together. So you can go whatever path you want. <laughs> that's fair. I mean, I would say uh, I'm going to be forgetting something. Oh, actually, this watch I have. A oh, fancy just- watch. I meant to say something. You got some good bling. Well, well, no, I wouldn't say this is number one, but I... My second year working on my BSc in Spokane, I was like a plus six months. I was like an assistant manager at Rite Aid or something, you know. And my co-assistant manager, before I left to move to LA, he literally gave me this watch, and he was like, "Hey, man, like I know you're moving into like the startup world, and you're going to be like a big business owner someday. And you know, I'm not in the business world, and I don't really need a watch. I want you to have this. And he just gave it to me. And it was like he took wow. it off the wrist and gave it to me. And I was like, dude, like, <laughs> I learn, like every day now, and I like love this watch. And it was just so kind and like just supportive. And so, I mean, I can definitely shout out my Ukraine team that's been supportive with me the entire time. I would not be here without them. But at the end of the day, it's acts like this, like people just, you know, going out of their way, just tell me like how much they believe in me and support me and, you know, get nothing out of it. You know, just people like that. It's really appreciative of that. That's an awesome story. That's really cool. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I need to always have a nice watch on at all times that I can just hand to people. That's that's a good hack as well to know. <laughs> He's like, like in his car. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Nice. And sorry, just because I have to talk to me like you're super fit. You work out in addition to having a fitness app. Talk mm-hmm. to me like give me a productivity or workout hack that allows you to till, kill two birds, one stone to get an yeah. advantage on the day. What, what do you got? Do I need more creatine, protein? <laughs> Are you like... Doing yeah. kettlebell swings while coding. What well, what is it? I'll say two things. I'll say one. I well, I'm very I'm very strong, but I'm working on getting well, I'm strong and I'm fit, but it might not look it, like my I got some stomach right now, is what I'm trying to say. So that beer pong tournament, man. It's the beer, beer pong, pong tournament. Well, I just play. I don't get I, don't, I mean I just run, I don't get to play, but that's I'm working on getting to like ultimate fit. Like I've been counting calories and getting all that. But my ultimate predict productivity hack is if you, and I do this all the time and I absolutely love it. So if you walk at an incline, you actually can burn, please correct me, like Google this, correct me if I'm wrong, but I've heard a million times. You actually burn more fat walking at an incline, like on a hike or on a treadmill than you do like jogging. So walking at an incline is great for you. And what you can do is take an iPad or so I even take my entire laptop and I will walk at like a 2.5 to 2.7 speed, like 11 incline. And I will just work for 30 minutes in the morning on my laptop. And if you use an elliptical, sometimes you can place your laptop so perfectly. Oh, nice. You can literally literally like work and just use your legs and just like type and it works perfectly. And you'll burn like 500 calories and get like honestly more work done than normal because there's nothing to distract you because you're just staring at a computer while you're on elliptical. So um, I do it all the time and it's, it's an awesome hack for sure. That's amazing. It's kind of like when you're on the airplane, I'm, I'm, the most productive on an airplane because there's nothing else to do. So yeah, it's a good one, man. Yeah. Well, cool. Well, Corey, this is a blast, man. It's fun to get to know you. And again, people, if anyone's in the gym space, definitely go check out We Strive. And Corey's podcast is amazing. Go download it. We'll put it in, in the show notes. But where else can people connect with you or where can they follow what, what you're building? Yeah, for sure. I mean, honestly, I I tweet about my, you know, growth all the time on Twitter. So Corey McCain on Twitter, and then I'm on Instagram, Corey.mf. And I post way too much on my story about my progress each day. So my, <laughs> really, well, my, my friends that have you know, been friends with me about seven or eight years, like saw the first time we did like a Kickstarter t-shirt campaign all the way till I'm 
speaking with the LA fitness, you know, staff to, on like, or like the CEO to like close them. So it's, it's been a cool like journey as we progress. So either of those work, you know, LinkedIn, feel free to shoot me an email, just Corey at westrive.com. And yeah, I mean, pretty reachable. Nice. Well, dude, thank you so much for the time, dude. Really cool to see what you're building, but look forward to meet you in person one day. Absolutely, man. Come out to Austin. Done. I'll give a few plugs. First, I send a weekly newsletter each Thursday featuring five articles or tools that have helped me. You can sign up for these weekly updates at jimwhuffman.com. Second, for anyone running a startup, if you need help growing your business, check out Growth Hit. Growth Hit serves as your external growth team. After working with over 100 startups and generating a quarter billion in sales for clients, GrowthIt has perfected a growth process that's hell-bent on driving ROI through rapid experiments. Plus, you'll get to work with yours truly. So if you want to work with a team that's worked with startups that have been funded by Andreessen Horowitz or featured on Shark Tank, then check out GrowthHit.com. And finally, I wrote a book called The Growth Marketer's Playbook that takes everything I've learned as a growth mentor for venture-backed startups, and I've distilled it down to 140 pages. So instead of hiring a growth team, save yourself some money, get the book, and you can just do it yourself. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and I'd love to hear feedback. I'm on Twitter at Jim W. Huffman. Today's episode is brought to you by Inside.com. Are you a founder, marketer, or executive that's looking for the next untapped social channel? Then look no further. Seriously, this one just launched and it's already getting insane traffic. It's like the website love child of Reddit and Twitter, but for business. I love it because it's the social news site and community site that actually cuts through the noise, unlike other platforms. I can discover content from other founders, plus it's a great place to share my own thoughts with professionals. I'm actually starting to get a little bit of traffic from it. For me, I like the topics feature because I can easily jump into Inside. I can filter by startup content, e-commerce content, or marketing content to find things to help me learn or to help me make my own business decisions. Plus, they host AMAs. That means ask me anything so you can connect with other like-minded professionals. It's more than just news. It's an efficient way to grow your network with impressive business minds. I was sold on them because of the team behind it, Alex and Jason. This is the brainchild of Jason Kalkanis. He's one of the hosts of my favorite podcast, The All In Podcast. He's an icon in the business world, the startup world, and he knows content. So you know the quality's there. Last, you might want to grab your inside URL before someone else does. Luckily, I got Jim Huffman before my nemesis in Minnesota got it. If you want to connect with me, go to inside.com, search my name, and let's chat. I'd love to know what you think of the podcast or what you think of Insight. Let me know what you think. 